0: You're listening to a sermon podcast from Paramount Church in Columbus, Ohio. To learn more, visit ParamountColumbus.com. Let me invite you to turn with me in your copy of God's Word to our sermon text for this morning, which is in the book of Philippians, where we've been most recently. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. If you want to use one of those Black Pew Bibles, you can find that, of course, in the New Testament. Move almost to the end of the Bible on page 155. 155 in the New Testament. We enjoyed a really wonderful Easter Sunday morning together as a church last Sunday. And it was an amazing thing to see as well the number of voices that we had gathered together. I don't know if this was said earlier this morning, but I think we, we had... 154 people here. We we only have like 145 chairs. And so that's really something for us to rejoice over and, and you know, when we say this, we say this frequently when we're talking about our church and our desire to grow, we do not see the number 154 as a status symbol of local church health. What we see it as is a signal of our growing voice, a signal of our volume of our ability to grow our voice in praise to our God and to to multiply with Him the joy that we have together, to care for one another, and to signal opportunities that are growing for us as a church to send the gospel out into other places, other cities like Redemption Hill on the west side of Columbus or around the world. And of course, we are continuing to pray and give toward the Annie Armstrong Easter offering even now as we look forward to next Sunday, which is Church Planner Focus Sunday. And we'll be able to hear and uh, sing, hear from and sing with with Josh and celebrate as Pastor Kevin goes to their church to preach uh, and spend time with them. And so it really is just a wonderful thing for us to be able to celebrate together and to see what God is doing. So last Sunday on Easter morning, we made it our intention to really focus in on the, the ultimate future resurrection that we're all looking forward to, that is tied in and, and grows out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're looking forward to that future time, that future place. But this morning, we want to return back to Christ in his present exaltation. Last Sunday, his future, us with him, his future exaltation. But today, his present exaltation. And we want to gain some real clear encouragement as we consider what does it mean that our Lord is exalted? What does it mean that that he is high and lifted up, that he has this exalted position as we see this morning? We see his, his exalted name and we consider the purpose of his exaltation. What does that mean for us, and and how can it increase as we're considering, in particular through this preaching series in the book of Philippians, our growing happiness? We are pursuing together the happiness that is in Christ, that we, in the midst of good times and bad times, in in, uh, times of prosperity and in times of loss, in times of peace, in times of conflict, we would like for there to be a thread of God's unending happiness, feeding us and filling us and comforting us. And so this is one of the reasons why we need to focus in on these key truths about our king, like his exaltation. Now, I think one thing to remember uh, at the outset as we come to this text in particular is that all of the truths of Jesus, one of them being that he is exalted, that all of those truths are inexhaustible, There's nothing that we as creatures and certainly as fallen creatures could ever do to exhaust our possible understanding of something like this. What does it mean for Jesus to be exalted? We will never get to the end of that. And all of the other infinite glories of his attributes will always remain beyond us. There will always be something else that we're striving to grasp more of him. But that's what we want to do. We we want to to not try to do them full justice because we can't, but to take from them something else, to continue moving forward and taking steps to, this morning, expand our vision and our understanding of what does it mean that Jesus is exalted. That's one of those truths that I find in my life to be hard to get my my hands around. It, It seems really obvious, and I say that, But I so often, with many of these things, I often have to look in the mirror and ask myself, do you really know what you're talking about? Do you really know what that means? Could Could you explain that? Sophie and I started playing a game a little bit recently, which is the define an ordinary word game. And this is where someone tells you a word and you have to give a definition of it. You think it's easy. But to give a definition of the word inexhaustible, to give a definition of the word sovereign, to give a definition of the word exalted, it's a lot harder than you think. And that's just one of those ordinary reminders of us that we want to keep pursuing a greater understanding and and recognition of, of who is our king, what is he like, what has he done for us. We'll never get to the end, but we want to keep taking in truth. So we want to do that this morning as we think about what it means for Jesus to be exalted. And we're going to notice three truths about his exaltation. We're going to see first Jesus' exalted position, and then Jesus' exalted name, and finally Jesus' exalted purpose. Let's look just at the first part, the first bit of verse 9. It says, for this reason also, God highly exalted him. Now, as good students of the Bible, we want to make sure that we keep everything in context. And when we see the word therefore or for, it's always good for us to answer the question, what's the therefore therefore? What is the for therefore? And the only way to do that is to go back. So if you want to turn right back to verse 5 of Philippians chapter 2, we can pick up the real meat that is driving us into this this idea that Jesus is exalted. Verse 5 says this. This is that passage that we know very well, even from just not long ago, a couple of weeks ago, that reminds us of the attitude of Jesus Christ in his redemptive work in the world. And the attitude that he in the gospel is offering for us to have like him, which not only glorifies God, but magnifies or maximizes and grows our happiness in him. This is what it says in verse 5 through verse 8. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, as he already existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God something to be grasped, Remember, we talked about how that means not that he let go of his divinity, he didn't let go of his his exaltation and his glory, but he didn't consider those things a matter of grasping after them to keep them, but rather he humbled himself. It says in verse 6, he already existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a bondservant and being born in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even of all the ways someone could die, death on the cross. It's an incredible picture of how Jesus, we used the word two weeks ago, condescended. He came down into our world and and became one of us, and he lived and died and rose again for us, among us, so that we could be with him. This incredible humility is what we've just been seeing. And now notice that the focus, the the main actor or character in the passage has suddenly shifted. The passage I just read and from two weeks ago is about Jesus and his condescension. Now the shift is to God the Father and his exaltation of Jesus Because he humbled himself. Because Jesus humbled himself for the sake of redemption, God exalted him for the sake of glory and increasing joy among his people. We all love, especially in this country, we love a rags-to-riches story. But not to be outdone, the story of redemption that we're seeing uh, uh, play out in these verses is actually a riches to rags to riches story. There aren't very many of those, but we we appreciate those too. We we like to see that as human beings, as creatures. One that that comes to mind actually is is a very interesting story I had not heard until recently, which is the story of, of Walt Disney. Now, everybody is saying, here he goes again. In fact, I heard somebody uh, had said, I wonder if somebody put him up to it last week. I I would dare you. I wonder if you can squeeze Aladdin into a sermon. Let's see if you can do it. I don't play games like that. I was actually a full willing participant in in bringing Aladdin into the sermon to help us understand the word of God. and I'm going to do something like that again by invoking Walt Disney. But the story of Walt Disney is very interesting. Because Walt Disney was, uh, in the twenties, 1920s, he was, he was a very successful animator already. In his own right, he had an animation studio, and he had one particular character that was, that was driving his success, and that was Oswald the Duck. But then what happened was a series of events turned his riches story into a kind of rags story. He actually lost the rights to Oswald the Duck The Great Depression set in and tanked his business. And suddenly he was at the very bottom, scrambling around, trying to make sense of his business and his life until he came up with another character we all know to be Mickey Mouse, who then shot him back up and way beyond anywhere that he had been before. It's that kind of story. That's the kind of story, though, though infinitely more important, that we're seeing in the work in the person of Jesus, in his redemptive plan. Because he didn't start out with, rich, with rags. He started out with riches, the king of all glory, the king of heaven. His redemption story is like no other. No one has ever been higher. And he of his own will, out of sheer grace, humbled himself, condescended, and made himself low. And no one has ever been lower. And as a result of that, as we see this morning, God the Father then exalted him to a position, again, his rightful position, at which no one else will ever be higher. This is part of what makes the gospel an amazing story because Jesus did this voluntarily. No one No one goes from riches to rags voluntarily. Not in this world. That's why he is otherworldly. That's why he is is entirely different and and separate from us in that way. And I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I don't know why. I don't know. There are certain things that, that I think, despite all of my searching and all of my reading and thinking, that are just... They're locked away in the mystery of God's mind. I don't know if they will ever come out. And that's one for me. You may have a better answer than I do. My answer, why did Jesus do this? I really don't know. I know some of the answers that we try to get at it, but it's, even then it's, it seems like I still don't totally, I don't totally understand. Why would you do that? Think about this. The triune God of all creation, prior to creation, was completely, fully happy in themselves, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect joy and happiness, in perfect glory. There is nothing to gain. And yet, he chooses to bring about this world And he even ordains, without being the author of it, the fall of mankind into sin, and then he works his redemptive plan in it. I'm telling you, I don't know why, but I know that he did. And I'm thankful that he did. I don't know why other than simply that the Bible says he does it for his own glory and for the joy of his people. You know, actually, we haven't talked about this a lot because we, we tend to focus on, on describing our church as being about making the gospel paramount because our church name is Paramount Church. But you know that our church has a motto. We have a kind of mission statement, and it goes like this. We are celebrating the gospel to the glory of God and to the joy of all people. That's something we're going to try to highlight as pastors more and more and bring that more as we move into our second decade of life. Bring that into clearer view and see how it clarifies who we are as God's people moving forward because we've been seeing so many great things as God is building our church and we've gone through so many different kind of mile markers over time. But this is is my best answer as to why he did it. He did it because somehow this glorifies him and he shares his joy with the world. This is what we're getting out of the book of Philippians that the ultimate meaning of our lives is made by the infinitely happy God choosing to share his happiness with us through the redemptive work of his son by the power of his holy spirit. We we'll talk about something Inexhaustible. Talk about something that I I can't, I'm not going to be able to to corner that one. Here it is again. The ultimate meaning of our lives is made by the infinitely happy God, all self-happy in himself, choosing to share his happiness with us through the redemptive work of his son by the power of his spirit. That is the gospel. That is what he is doing. That's what he's been doing. And that's what he will complete. This gospel that we talk about making paramount, it is so full of wonders. And we're trying to celebrate those wonders. Here's here's one of the wonders. This is the one we're seeing this morning. It is that our Redeemer is super exalted. That's what... That's what Paul says in verse 9. For this reason, also, God, it is the word, super exalted. He's been super exalted to his rightful position. There's debates among theologians about, does that mean that he, he was at this point of exaltation? He descended, he did his redemptive work, and then he got exalted up higher than that? I don't think so. But again, there's lots of things that I don't understand and know. What I do know is this. Paul is putting on display for us a key truth that we need in our lives and it is that the king in whom we have entrusted ourselves is super exalted and we belong to him. We are united with him. We are attached to him. We are tied to him. We're strapped into a harness with him and he's never going to let us go. He's never going to un unhitch us. He's never going to cast us off. He has done a work in his super exalted glory to make us super happy in him, and he is going to keep us. That is an amazing reality, and we need to see it more, that we belong to a king who is super exalted. I'm always trying to think of pictures to help us, to help me understand these things. When I come to this text, one I'm thinking of with, with the idea that he's super exalted and we are connected to him is actually a, kind of a silly one. It's the idea, something I would never do, which is tandem skydiving, where somebody who doesn't really know what they're doing uh, hitches on to someone who does, the ultimate kind of captain of the little skydiving team, and then you have the, the student or the passenger who is, who is hitched up by harness and then together they, they fall out of the plane. But then they, they don't just fall to the ground because the person, the captain who's in charge, wants to make it a, a great ride. The goal is not just to get to the ground. The goal is to be exhilarated. The goal is to is to have the passenger passenger to understand what it is to soar through the air. And everywhere that the captain goes, the passenger is right there. But it's not just one passenger, it's, it's, it's every believer in this room, it's every believer in the world, it's every person that God, by sovereign grace, has chosen to hitch to himself, to Velcro to himself, and never let them go. We belong to him, and he is super exalted. This comes out all over the place in scripture, all over the place in In Paul's writing, Paul writes to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, just this little bit, listen to this. The statement is trustworthy. If we died with him, and we have, we will also live with him. Big understatement, big understatement. We're not roommates. We're going to live with him. We belong to him. We're going to live with him in his super exalted position. We will be with him. If we endure... And we will. We will also reign with him. It's another way of talking about his super exaltation. So, here, let's put this to use in our lives this week. Here's the application Rejoice. That's the application to every passage of Scripture for us in Christ, every single one. That's why we've said over and over again the most frequent command of the Bible is what? Be happy rejoice be glad celebrate in the midst of all kinds of circumstances rejoice that you are united to a king who is super exalted so this is how we can apply it rejoice in the fact that he is exalted and that you are exalted with him this is not some kind of weird religious ego trip, cultic kind of thing where, where we exalt and get arrogant about how we are children of God and we you know you can't say that to me and you can't treat me that way because I'm royalty and all that's not what we that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about being united to a king who humbled himself and came down to take us to be with him and he's humbled us and given us the same kind of attitude that causes us to cry out in dependence on him, not independence from him. But to seek in him all the joy that he has to give. All of the glory that we can ascribe to him. Because he is super exalted. So God the Father exalted Jesus to this position. Super exalted position. But not only this, listen to this, it's getting better. Because Paul keeps trying to unpack it. He's giving us just swelling, swelling, marvelous, glorious kind of truths for our lives. He says that he also gave Jesus an exalted name. Okay, verse 9. For this reason also, God highly exalted him and, the end of verse 9, bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So God the Father bestowed on Jesus in his exaltation because of his redemptive work the name that is above every name and that name is Lord. The name he's given is the supreme name, and you cannot have a more supreme name than capital L-O-R-D, Lord. This is not merely a name of preferred superior letters put into an order that add up to something meaningful. This is the name of super exaltation. It's the name, Lord. Everyone, everyone has a name. No one has a name like this. Everyone in here has a name and your name has meaning. It's one of the most fascinating things of parenthood is to get the the baby name book and look through it. It names you like the way they sound and then match it against what it means and, and make sure that you're good with that. Parents do that all the time. These books fly off the shelves because the meaning of your name, it says something. Now, we have to be honest. Not all of our names mean the same thing. I looked up a few of them of people who might be here today. Sandy, man's defender. That's a pretty good one, Rob. (laughs) Cameron, crooked nose. (laughs) But I'm I'm right there with you. My name Rush means field of dense grass. (laughs) Fitting. Matt, gift of God. God. Lauren, one who wears a crown. You both, you hit the name jackpot together. Great names, all of them. But none of them have power. Some of them can have wonderful meaning and and they can be be so elegant and beautiful and, and, and important, but none of them have sovereign ownership attached to them. But his does. Because Jesus' name is exalted as Lord. But again, notice this. We we can't just assume that our interpretation or definition of the name is what it means. Because everything in our world has been tainted by sin. It's all been twisted and and perverted. And and we have a hard time making sense. That's why we need God to reveal himself to us, as he has. But notice that, that he is Lord in a way that we don't typically think of. Typically, we think of Lord as a kind of arrogance of control, a kind of self-centeredness, an ugly kind of self-centeredness. But instead, his name, Lord, he is Lord in self-contained joy in the Trinity. And he is the kind of Lord who gives his joyful lordship to his people by showering them with grace, dying in their place. That is worlds apart from any way anyone in this fallen world has ever used the name Lord. No one has ever been a Lord like that except for Christ. And so he has taken this super exalted name and he's put on display such an incredible, satisfying, joyful meaning. All in the way that he has dealt with us. Because he's a different kind of Lord. You might remember in the Gospels, particularly in Matthew chapter 20, John and James, who were known as the sons of thunder, they got real excited about the future coming kingdom, and so they started asking some questions about what it would mean to reign with him, and maybe where we could sit, and Jesus might maybe you could save us a couple of those seats of honor so that we're like real close to you cuz it's going to be a good thing when when our lord is seated and reigning and we'd like to be close to that cuz maybe we could get in on a little of that and you know could you save us the seats and you might remember what Jesus says listen to this after hearing this the other 10 disciples became indignant they they knew something was wrong with this with the two brothers but Jesus called them to himself and said you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over or domineer over them, and those in high position exercise authority over them. It is not this way among you, but whoever wants to become prominent among you shall be your servant, and whoever desires to be first among you shall be your slave, just as the Son of Man, the Lord did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. God the Father has not only given Jesus the super exalted name Lord, he has entirely redefined it. And he has redefined it in a way that welcomes people like us to him, to know him, and to find comfort in him, and that he would bestow his grace and satisfaction on us, and that he could, which is what we're trying to learn, that he could, and he alone, could make us truly happy. So how can we apply this? It's, it's another way of rejoicing, like it was in the first. Rejoice. When you hear this, and you see the difference between the lords of the earth and the Lord of heaven, rejoice. That it is not to be this way, lording it over, domineering among us, and rejoice that it's not that way with our Lord. It was put so succinctly, so powerfully. I mean, see, it may have been six months ago, but it stayed with me that this Lord does not berate his children. He doesn't berate us. He doesn't beat us. He doesn't abuse us. He doesn't pound us into submission. He graces us into submission. He he makes us glad into submission. He satisfies us into submission. He is a whole different world of Lord, and we can rejoice. You see, Paul keeps giving us, we're getting all of these reasons to what? What? To be happy. Be happy in Christ when you look at him and you see him for who he is. Rejoice. Finally, we see this morning why his name, Lord, is powerful. How it's powerful. What is the purpose? What is God the Father going to do with this super exalted position for his son? How is he going to work in this super exalted name, Lord, for his son? we see very clearly what will happen in the end. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess, willingly or under duress. This is what we see last is Jesus' exalted purpose. Notice in verses 10 and 11, last two verses for this morning. So that, well, back it up. For this reason also, God highly exalted him. And bestowed on him the name which is above every name so that at the name of Jesus who is Lord every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The purpose of exaltation is glory for Jesus and joy for his people, but we want to make No mistake. And we don't want the world to make this mistake. It's why we press out with the gospel. It's why we're honest and truthful to preach the whole counsel of the word of God. We don't just preach the the comfortable things. We preach the uncomfortable things. We don't just preach gospel. We first preach law because we want the world to be aware that everyone is involved And everyone has a responsibility before him. Everyone in the world, everyone in history, past, everyone in history, present, everyone in history, future, every single person will be involved in this final day, we're looking forward again, of recognition. Because everyone will be called to address the Lord. Everyone will be called to address him in his ultimate, super-exalted, self-exalted glory. You know, there are certain principles of decorum when it comes to addressing royalty. There are some ground rules you're supposed to play by. They're very particular in this world. If you ever were to meet royalty, you need to know the rules. You don't ever touch the royalty unless the royalty touches you first. You don't ever extend a hand for a handshake unless the royalty shakes first. You have to wear the proper clothing so that you're prepared in the presence of this royalty. You have to stand in a certain place. You have to be prepared with all of the decorum. But, but in all of it, there's, there are two big ways that every person, when meeting human royalty in this world, two big ways they must address. One, you must address physically. And you must address verbally. Verbally. It's the same kind of picture that's painted for us here to help us understand what that day will be like and help us proclaim to the world what that day will be like. First, that his lordship, as we're seeing, is over all created reality. Notice what he says here, that every tongue will confess. And he says those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth That's a way of saying that that everyone in created reality will be called in to address the Lord, the royalty. The heavenly beings will be called in. Those who are living on the earth will be called in. Those who have died on the earth and now are under the earth will be called in. And we're assured the two things will happen. Notice the physical and the verbal address. It will happen for every single person and every single being. One, every knee, every knee will bow. Every knee will show the physical address that is proper before the super exalted royalty. Every knee will bow. Now we hear in that, I hear in that, this really charged language that, that that tends to, because of the law, kind of strike fear in our hearts about that. You know, we think about what that would be like and we think about our, our, our loved ones who are, who are not believers and... And and they may bow a knee before him in an entirely different relationship than we have come to have with him by grace. But I also see something else. Notice what this says about our world. Notice what it says about the mission that we've been given. Every knee will bow. This is a kind of picture that's painted that the people around the world, wherever they are, will bow. Their knees will touch the dirt. It's that kind of picture. And that just reminds me again and encourages me, I hope it encourages you and us as a church to take really seriously our Great Commission. Because this is what the Great Commission is about. It's about knees all around the world bowing. It is about knees taking a place and showing their their honor to him and their, their, their commitment to him, their place in his kingdom. We want to be Evangelistic. We want to be good news people. This is a reminder of of why and how we want knees to bow in all corners of the world. And that is what will happen. But also, notice what else it says that every tongue will confess. And there's that name that Jesus is Lord. These are, these are. These are important words. These are recognition. One way or another, everyone will recognize that Jesus is the super exalted Lord to the glory of God the Father. The Holy Spirit working in a, in a kind of background place. We don't, we don't hear about him here, but he is always working. He is, he is perfectly united in the happiness of the Trinity in this mission. But we're reminded that every person will bow their knee, either by faith, or by force, because he has been super exalted. Therefore, we want to share the gospel far and wide, because we would much rather for for multitudes of people to be made to bow before him by faith, by grace, the way that we have, not by force. Every person. These are the kind of places in scripture where we we do well to take some time and just think about that. Keep asking this question. I want to encourage you keep asking this question. Every time you read the Bible, stop and say, what in the world does that mean? How can I understand that better? What do I not understand about this right now? How can I get a better grasp on this? What does that mean? Every knee will bow. Have you thought about that? I think normally when I think about it, it's kind of fuzzy. It's kind of ethereal. It's a bunch of knees without any faces. I'm not thinking about all the people. But when you do, it really brings it to light. Nelson Mandela will bow his knee and confess with his tongue that Jesus is Lord. Marie Curie, Mahatma Gandhi, Leonardo da Vinci, Martin Luther King Jr., Cleopatra the Seventh, Albert Einstein, Queen Elizabeth II, Alexander the Great, William Shakespeare, Mother Teresa, Isaac Newton, Joan of Arc, Billy Graham, Winston Churchill, Confucius, Pablo Picasso, Anne Frank, Alexander Graham Bell, Rosa Parks, the prophet Muhammad, and everyone in between will bow their knee and confess with their tongue that Jesus Christ is Lord. What are you going to do with that? Obviously, two things. First, rejoice. Rejoice if you're here today and you belong to Him. You, you are in tandem with Him. You have bowed your knee and you have confessed with your tongue in a joy and happiness by faith, not by force. And because you rejoice, because we are happy to belong to Him, we're happy to be Christians, then let's go make Him known. Let's tell some people about this. Even today, you can find somebody to talk to about this. Keep in mind, the whole world is going to bow one way or another. So let's be ambassadors of faith and welcome the world to come to him because he is a Lord like no other. And that's really what the world needs to know. The world needs to hear the kind of Lord that he is. And all the while rejoicing and trusting that behind the scenes, his sovereign Holy Spirit will be doing all of his necessary work to ensure that some will be saved. That's our hope. That's our confidence. That's our joy in knowing that. That's our motivation. And that begins here. There could be somebody here. It starts right now. We want you to know. That if you do not belong to Christ, you can come. Ask God, call out to him. If your heart will, call out to him and ask him to give you everything that you need so that you can believe in him. So that you could bow your knee and confess with your tongue that Jesus is Lord and be saved and that you would do it in faith. Because a day is coming. And we have been warned, and we have been commanded to celebrate the day, and that's what we want to do. We want to celebrate the gospel to the glory of God and to the joy of all people, and this is how we do it. We're getting a better grasp on happiness. We're getting a better grasp on our Lord, who he is. What does this mean? And we're really praying. Please be praying that God will work in these truths, that the seeds that are falling into our hearts would would grow up and bear fruit, That's what we want to see. We want to see God use us, and we want to see God glorified, and we want to see sinners full of joy. Let me invite you to stand with me as we pray and prepare our hearts to sing again and encourage you that if God is at work in your heart today in a variety of ways, that you would talk to someone else about that, someone near you after our service is over, one of our pastors, or during the week so that we could continue praying and talking and thinking together about the good news of Jesus and what he's doing in our hearts. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks today. In our assembly here in which you are present, we know that you are, you are ever-present, omnipresent, and that you are super exalted and yet here with us. We give you thanks because you have, you have chosen to show us grace. You've condescended into our lives. You've entered our world. You've understood our need. And you have brought us yourself and your answers. And you've transformed us. Lord, sometimes we don't feel very transformed. Sometimes we feel like we're falling behind. Please remind us of your faithfulness. Please comfort us in the truth that you you are at work in us. And we can trust you. And help us to to, to draw close to you and to know you more. We, that's what we're trying to do. So, Father, please help us. Help us to think carefully about the lordship of Jesus Christ, to think carefully about what it means to to bow our knee before him and to confess with our mouth that he is Lord, to be reminded of the kind of Lord that he is, a Lord of glory and a Lord of grace, a Lord who is happy and who gives his happiness to his people. Lord, please give it to us in greater measure. Increase our faith. Increase our joy. Increase our obedience. We pray this in Jesus' name, who is our Lord. Amen.